Welcome to Power Skills, Measuring ESG. This conversation is part of an ongoing series for FEI Engage called Power Skills. Now, I'm excited to introduce my guest. Jackie Close is a partner in the financial accounting advisory services practice at EY with over 20 years of accounting and reporting experience, including ESG reporting. She is currently supporting clients with various ESG topics, including SEC proposal gap assessments, materiality assessments, ESG governance governance assessments, and design, process, and controls documentation over ESG reporting metrics and business requirements for ESG reporting solution implementation. Jackie, thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And Jackie, I would love it if we could just start with you telling us, you know, how you became interested in ESG in the first place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I guess in in the past several years, there have been um, some regulations coming into SEC filing. So starting with the human capital um, disclosure requirements. Uh, now the climate change proposal is out there. There's various different regulatory requirements across the globe. And um, from my perspective, marrying sort of my personal interests with, you know, some of those regulations made it such an easy choice as um, I've had a financial background. I've been an accountant and auditor for my entire career. Um, and adding these additional disclosures, which, which really, you know, really are rounding out both the financial and non-financial disclosures about um, an organization's um, priorities, how they're driving those financial results based on some of the priority topics and how they engage with all their various different stakeholders. It's just been very interesting for me and, and watching this evolution has been, has been really fun from a personal and professional level. I would like to understand now we know that on the um, session today, as far as attendees go, we have quite a mix of levels. So uh, again, I just want to encourage everyone to submit their questions so that we make sure that we're answering uh, the questions that you have. Um, But, you know, I think we'll start as kind of generally and basic as, as we can, and then maybe move up in specificity and, uh, I, I would like to know who at a company is meant to take the lead on ESG and how should they mobilize? Yeah, and, and that is very different at every organization, um, just based on the, the broad topics that that are covered from an E and S and a G perspective. Um, so there's different functions that are involved. Um, again, there's new regulations that are coming out from the FCC and from other jurisdictions across the globe. So depending on where um, an organization operates, they may have additional um, regulatory requirements as well, especially in the EU is really the most advanced with the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, CSRD. Um, the ISSB has issued standards as well. And so with that, um, accounting and finance has absolutely been involved with from an SEC reporting perspective. Uh, legal or public policy um, for organizations that have always done or um, have recently added ESG disclosures from a voluntary perspective, those sustainability functions, um, there's environmental sustainability, uh, procurement, 
HR from a, a social reporting perspective. And so, again, every organization is different as to who's participating and who's really taking the lead. And oftentimes it does depend on how they've really been driven and how the um, reporting function is operated in, in the past, whether it's driven by communications or investor relations or a separate sustainability function. Um, in really determining where they operate. Is it more regulatory focused? Is it more strategic focused? Uh, so at every organization, uh, you know, different folks are participating and thinking about how they're gonna drive that future state of ESG reporting, transitioning from wherever they are today in that journey to where they need to go into the future, incorporating some of the regulatory requirements. So that is a hot topic at every one of the companies that I work with and who's gonna take the lead, who's participating and what value are they bringing to, to this topic. And you touched on this, but what role has accounting played in ESG reporting like historically? And then how do you see that evolving in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So many companies these days are starting to create an ESG controller role um, and in or, you know, a similar similar role in, in the accounting and finance function where um, is ESG reporting has histor historically been primarily voluntary moving into the regulatory environment. Um, accounting and finance are definitely understanding the SEC climate proposal um, and in paying attention to that, understanding what is being reported from a voluntary perspective today and what needs to transition in order to go from that voluntary reporting to this future state reporting, including in the regulatory um, filings. So really understanding those requirements, looking at gap assessments to understand what are we reporting today, uh, working through all the, the detailed um, requirements from the proposals or the finalized standards, I guess if it's CSRD, really understanding that comparing to what um, they're reporting today and then looking at those gaps and then working across the organization um, to be able to fill those gaps. Um, and sometimes those gaps are, um, are process gaps and sometimes they're, they're disclosure gaps, whereas maybe the organization has that information today, but they're not reporting on it or potentially they're collecting and reporting on that information, but it doesn't have that same level of rigor that the accounting and finance function expects um, with what they've historically seen from SEC reporting. So in an SEC filing today, um, there's requirements uh, based on the location of, of the information that's reported, but the um, core financial statements require SOX controls, and then the rest of the document in, uh, requires disclosure control procedures in accordance with the SEC's requirements. So. So accounting and finance is really making sure has the rigor been applied to the disclosures that have been reported historically um, at the same level as the expectation from an SEC perspective. So they're really bringing that already existing end-to-end -end reporting process to the table and thinking about the infrastructure that they have in place, working with the sustainability functions or those who own those reporting disclosures today to really understand what is the level of rigor, what is the process in place. Many uh, companies are using Excel and have a highly manual process. A lot of the data and information that's being collected to report on comes from invoices um, or various different um, 
other data sources that are not structured, are not automated, those calculations are, are not automated. And so, um, so the accounting and finance function is leveraging their internal control structure, leveraging the COSO framework to really walk through and obtain an understanding of those processes, which from a, um, from a carbon emission perspective, you know, in order to prepare for the climate proposal from the SEC, uh, there's a lot of judgments and estimates um, used to perform those calculations based on um, a, the, G, the GHG protocol, the greenhouse gas emissions protocol. And so um, that's sort of similar to our U.S. gap from an accounting perspective. So um, so the accountants can bring that skill set that they have of understanding estimation approaches, making sure policies are in place, driving the consistency of those policies, really ensuring that there's rigor around those estimations, leveraging um, experts to understand how was the data captured, what data do we have, where is there missing data, um, are there estimates and judgments that need to be made in order to um, fill the gaps on any um, areas where actual data is not not maintained. And so that's something that's very consistent um, that accountants have had to apply historically with other judgments and estimates that they were reporting from a financial perspective. So really leveraging those skill sets that we've used from an accounting perspective for years and bringing that into um, this new you know, element of, of greenhouse gas reporting. And so walking through those processes um, with, with the sustainability function or those who are capturing that data to understand that end-to-end -end process and then documenting that process and figuring out, okay, what do we need to change in order to meet this SEC reporting requirement? So much of the voluntary reporting that happens today is several months after year-end. If this information needs to be incorporated into an SEC filing, it would need to be filed with the 10K, which is, you know, much shorter. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, within 45, 60 days of year end. And so the infrastructure is not in place today with the highly manual processes um, in order to perform those calculations. So understanding how it's reported today and then figuring out, okay, what are the actions that we need to take, even if we are reporting the information that we'll need to go into the 10K, what actions do we need to take to bring that process to be more streamlined, more automated, increase the um, data availability um, on a more timely perspective so that they can report. So again, today from an accounting perspective, we close our books um, every single month, whereas many many organizations um, really only capture and calculate this data on an annual basis, again, several months after the fact. So really changing that process, enhancing that process, leveraging the financial infrastructure that is in place, potentially implementing systems to capture the data or perform those calculations um, to really be able to meet um, that timeline in the future has been a significant um, significant activity that that companies are looking at to to really be ready for SEC reporting and to meet those timelines but then also make sure that there's those robot robust controls in place um, so that they're comfortable and that they have the confidence to be able to report on that
And again, Jack, you did touch on this, but we have a question from the audience. If possible, could you elaborate a bit on the details of the most recent SEC decision on ESG reporting? For example, any deadline require any deadline requirements of companies? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So today actually marks the one year anniversary of the SEC's climate proposal. Um, so initially, when the proposal was issued, there is staggered reporting um, based on whether you're a large accelerated filer, accelerated filers, or a smaller reporting company. So that timeline, um, we expect to be changed once the rule is finalized because it was issued last March, the expectation that it would be leveraging 23 data issued in 24. We no longer expect that to occur because um, because of the, you know, a year has lapsed. And so we no longer expect um, quantitative data to be included on that same timeline when the SEC issues its final rule. Um, the, we've been waiting for that final rule to be posted. And I know there's been a lot of pushback from the SEC or a lot of pushback to the SEC from the disclosure comments that companies have submitted. And so they've really been taking a thorough process to review the proposal, review those comment letters and reconsider how they're going to issue that final rule. Once that final rule does come out, they will likely issue a new timeline. And once we see that timeline, we'll know when companies are able to adopt um, this. Uh, so with that, many of our clients are really monitoring the SEC disclosure requirements and understanding what is included in the proposal. Um, to then what we're calling this, no, take this no regrets approach, where if you're reporting on information today, uh, externally, company, especially your, your scope one and your scope two greenhouse gas emission disclosures, a no regrets approach really looks at and says, what am I reporting on today? What is the process to report on that information today? If I put that in a 10K filing tomorrow, would I be comfortable with it? Would I be able to achieve that timeline? And would I be have the confidence to be able to report on that um, and put it in, in the 10K based on disclosure control procedures? You mentioned earlier that it's a fairly manual process right now. Um, and so automation obviously will likely streamline uh, things. But I guess how far away are we from a much more streamlined uh, kind of, uh, I guess, <clears throat> uniform uh, system for reporting ESG metrics? There's definitely an evolution there. Um, and I know there's a lot of frustration, you know, from, from many companies where um, the regulations are new. The There's a lot of different reporting frameworks that companies are reporting on now. SASB disclosures, GRI disclosures. Um, and so um, the, in the new standards, the SEC's regulation for climate proposal or CSRD, ISSB, the regulations that are coming out are not necessarily all converged and aligned. Um, and the expectations are continuing to evolve as, as the regulators are still deciding on, on the final rules. So um, companies are really looking at that and really understanding um, how are they reporting today and how does that how is that similar or different to the regulations, which is something we do oftentimes deal with today, right? US GAAP versus IFRS or other local gaps that we report on. 
but from a an automation perspective, um, there are a few, um, or there are several actually um, tools and technologies that our companies are using in order to calculate those metrics. Um, of course, unfortunately, we do audit several of those companies, so I'm, I unfortunately can't name names, but there are several different um, technology providers out there. And similar to what we saw from a lease accounting perspective, there's a lot of new players coming into the market that are leveraging their existing technology, building in those calculations and leveraging that platform of connected data to be able to um, to be able to you know continue to enhance their products to incorporate various different ESG metrics. Of course, that's an evolution, and and many of the you know technology providers are still working through enhancing that, really following the regulations. Um, and there's a lot of information that's reported on across ESNG and sometimes very specific to each organization where the data comes from. So um, many companies are doing that um, assessment to understand the process, understand where the data comes from, understand the existing systems that are in place and the manual processes that are performed to then really understand, and while understanding those regulatory requirements, to understand what are the business requirements for this future state reporting so that they can then have an understanding of what their needs are and then do um, a technology scan to understand what are the options out there in the market? What is the maturity of the options that are out there in the market um, as everybody is running hot and fast to be able to develop those technology products? And so really, understanding what is available, what are their needs, and then seeing how they want to work through that that journey of going from where they are today, you know, oftentimes very manual, where they are today and working through that implementation process to enhance both the process and the technology and the data connectivity of the various different metrics that they're reporting on to get to that future state of automation. Um, and Unfortunately, there's no one size fits all today uh, technology that has um, the calculations available for, again, the E, the S, and the G metrics that companies are reporting on. There's many companies that that only report on a few metrics today, but then there's others who have current 200-page voluntary sustainability reports, uh, maybe issue um, responses to CDP for climate or water or, or um, you know, other topics. And so there are some companies that are reporting on a significant amount of metrics. And so unfortunately, there hasn't been this one size fits all technology that companies can use um, in order to implement and streamline and automate. So it's, it's really working um, hand in hand with each of those functions that are responsible for the data, understanding those regulatory requirements, what are they reporting on today? What will they report on in the future? What's the process? What are the existing systems? And then working with um, the uh, the IT function to understand where are we today and how are we going to transition and, and um, work through that journey of reporting to continue to further automate all those different metrics. So uh, a couple great questions from the audience, uh, but before we get to those, since we're talking a lot about ESG metrics, I would love it if you could give some examples of some of the more common ESG metrics um, mm -hmm. and then how are companies determining which 
ESG metrics they need to report? Of course. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe I'll start with how are companies determining what, what, you know, information they need to report. So um, generally we recommend starting with a materiality assessment. So a different term that um, in the ESG reporting world than what we're familiar with from a, uh, an accounting perspective, but a materiality assessment is a, it's a, a, approach where you look at your various different stakeholders. So your investors, your employees, your customers, um, and you understand what information is most material, most relevant to those stakeholders. What do they care about? Do they care about um, your workforce? Is is the environment impactful? Um, What are the drivers of your organization that are going to create value in the future? And so um, you look through a variety of different topics that are relevant to your industry, look at some peer benchmarks, what do your peers look at to understand what is relevant and important to them. And then you um, do various different stakeholder engagement to understand which one of those universe of topics are of highest priority, highest priority to you. And then from those topics, you determine which metrics you want to report on. So... um, if we think about from an E perspective, um, there's uh, the impact of climate change or pollution. Um, water is a big one. Um, and so so an organization will look at the impact that they have um, across each one of those topics and determine if any of those are uh, material to them and if they want to report on them and, and track and monitor them. So. Then from there, they would look at what are the various different metrics under there. So from a climate change perspective, um, the the greenhouse gas emission protocol um, provides um, specific metrics and calculations associated with scope one um, emissions, scope two emissions, and scope three emissions. And so the SEC has um, specifically expected these disclosures over over greenhouse gas emissions, as that is primarily how um, they're tracking and monitoring a, a company's impact to the to climate change. And so, um, most organizations are reporting on that today, or working to report on that based on you know the regulatory requirements and uh, stakeholder expectations that that is impactful. If we then um, move over from a, a social perspective, um, there's topics like your community engagement, your employee workforce. Um, and so uh, diversity and inclusion is a big topic that is important to most organizations as your workforce is generally a, a, a material imp- has a material impact on your organization and your organization's success. And so looking at um, a variety of different um, employee metrics across uh, your board composition, looking at diversity of your board, um, the gender diversity of your board, and then also looking at uh, various different levels across the organization. So again, diversity um, for various different um, diverse employee groups across your senior executives, your uh, middle-level managers, and all throughout your organization. Um, is oftentimes a topic that are, or a metric that companies are reporting on. 
<clears throat> what considerations are important regarding the measurement of these metrics? Yeah, so I think, you know, earlier I was was mentioning that process that goes into place. So for many of these metrics, there, there are specific criteria that are laid out um, based on various different standards. So the Greenhouse Gas Emission Protocol provides um, the process and approach that companies follow. Um, in order to perform those calculations uh, based on the various different sources of emissions. Um, then there's also various different standards that have been published from GRI or SASB in um, really helping companies think through how do I approach um, calculating those metrics. So, for example, um, taking you know those metrics, then determining how to report on them. Um, oftentimes, there are metrics that companies want to report on that don't have specific standards that provide calculations. Um, and companies have to come up with, you know, their own approach. So, um, so really companies then, similar to accounting, really just need to take an approach, document their policy, drive that consistency across the organization for capturing and gathering that information. Where, what sources of information do they have available? Um, oftentimes, um, you know, from a social perspective, there's considerations of just data availability. Um, so do they have that HR data available from a regulatory perspective? Are they able to capture some of that information about um, an employee's demographics or information? And so, um, so they have to really think about what is the information that they have available and are they able to report on that information and how can they capture that data or close those gaps and be able to get some additional information to be able to report on that? A related uh, question from the audience. Does the SEC require filers to disclose specific DE&I data? If so, how? So today, the SEC does not have any quantitative um, requirements for human capital data. So uh, the next proposal that we do expect to see from the SEC once the climate proposal is fin- or climate rule is finalized would be um, an update to their human capital disclosure requirements. So they did issue um, a human capital rule disclosure rule a couple of years ago, which did not include any quantitative requirements. So they're continuing to evolve those um, requirements. And we do expect that in this next proposal that they will have specific DEI metrics, quantitative metrics that companies would need to report on. Makes and actually sense. that does align. So if we look at the EU reporting standards, um, CSRD, today um, CSRD does require um from an E perspective, climate disclosures, and from an S perspective, um, certain social metrics um, on your workforce, which includes DEI data. Those are topics within the CSRD that our companies are required to report on, regardless of materiality. The CSRD has determined those are topics that are material to all companies, and we want to see those quantitative metrics disclosed. Whereas the rest of the topics within the CSRD's um, ESRS standards that they've issued, um, so for client or for environmental would include water pollution, 
um, in marine resources. So those topics, an organization would go through a prescriptive double materiality assessment um, that is a, a process specifically laid out um, in the SRS standards to determine are those other topics material to the organization? And if they are material, they will have to report on them. Whereas that climate and um, our workforce DEI metrics are required no matter what. So the SEC and the CSRD are at least moving towards that alignment in what are the priority topics um, across all organizations, and DEI is one of them. Mm-hmm. Another question from the audience for accelerated filers, does SEC refer to these companies the same as the term used in SOX? Do you see any association between the SOX compliance and the new requirement of ESG reporting? So, so in an SEC filing, SOX um, controls are required for any information that's included in the financial statements. So the face of the financial statements in the footnotes. So these, the SEC's proposed rule incorporates specific requirements for footnotes based on regulation SX, specific requirements for the financial impact to, um, to the financial statements. So these would be um, journal entries that are actually recorded. So if you have a climate event that has impacted um, the organization and you've recorded either potentially an impairment You've incurred costs to repair um, damages from a climate event, for example, a flood or a wildfire or a hurricane. If you've had specific charges that you've taken um, to the PL or capitalized assets, those need to be disclosed in the footnote. So any um, financial impact to a any singular line item in the financial statements that's greater than 1% from an absolute value perspective, um, the, any impact to that singular line item needs to be disclosed in the financial statements or in the footnotes. So those um, disclosures would be subject to SOX controls. Would Management would need to um, assert that they have controls in place over those disclosures and your auditors would need to opine on that. So for any of those disclosures, which again are proposed and heavily contested um, in all of the, the comment letters that the SEC did receive, so we're uncertain as to where those disclosures will land in the final rule, but those current proposed disclosures in, within the footnotes would be required to maintain SOX level controls. The other disclosure requirements in the front of the SEC filing, which would include your um, scope one and scope two carbon emissions, potentially scope three, um, any of your risk factors uh, related to climate events, or any of the other disclosures that are required from regulation SK in the front of the document, those are outside of the scope of SOX and would be required to maintain disclosure control procedures. And those disclosure control procedures are not at that same level of SOX. However, um, the SEC does require that management has um, uh, an an understanding of those processes and is comfortable with those processes such that the information included in the SEC filing is not misleading, but it's um, materially accurate. So 
from a practical perspective, many companies are, again, leveraging that already existing infrastructure from a SOX perspective to document those processes, obtain an understanding of those processes, what are the material risks of misstatement to the financial statements um, based on those processes, and then identifying controls to mitigate those risks. So documenting those processes and, and most are documenting the controls in a risk and control matrix. Some are performing testive control procedures over those. And every organization is, is taking a different approach. Oftentimes it is not typical for companies to have um, SOX-like controls with a risk and control matrix over information such as MDNA the data disclosed in MDNA. However, many companies are taking this approach really because the level of maturity of this information, the level of understanding of the finance folks who and, and executives who are signing off on those filings, they really want to make sure as we're bringing this new information into an SEC filing that they really are enhancing the robustness of that information such that they're comfortable that they can disclose it and they don't have a material error. So while not required, from a practical perspective, many companies are really leveraging that same existing reporting infrastructure for um, the data that's going in the front of the document. Another question from the audience um, about the skills gap that ESG reporting brings into the industry um, as it adopts new data points and standards. What skills should someone early in their career or even students, what do they need to have in order to be ready for this change in the paradigm? Yes, absolutely. This is um uh, you know, a question and an issue most companies are addressing. And, and the first question you asked me is why I was involved and how I got involved in ESG reporting. And, and we are finding that there are many employees who are very passionate about these topics, especially the younger folks. Um, and we're seeing generationally um, consumer demand, we're seeing employee demand and expectations um, from younger generations. So uh, across the organization, we're finding many individuals coming forward who are just passionate and interested in participating in ESG reporting projects. So leveraging the background and skill set that, that they've developed over their career, that they've um, you know been working on at the organization, Bringing those skill sets, as I mentioned, this is really a team sport. Every function across the organization is, is coming to play here. Um, and so a lot of those individuals are coming forward, want to participate. And so the, the passion that comes with it is, is really refreshing oftentimes because they're interested in learning. There's so much research you can do um, for various different events. Um, podcasts, research online to really upskill yourself um, in various different topics, roundtables, events, connecting with your peers. Um, and so many individuals are doing that uh, self-study, self-research, or um, and then also working with their peers across the organization if it, the company does have a sustainability function that has historically had that skill set and capability, it's really bringing all of those folks together so that everybody is coming to the table with 
their own background and experience and really developing that future state operating model. So um, if a company does not have that internal requisite you know, functional expertise associated with some of the various different topics and that reporting, then you know, reaching out to external consultants or support or um, community groups or you know, creating different um, networks so that they're leveraging knowledge and skill sets and capabilities from those who have participated in this um, for, you know, for their career for many years to leverage that knowledge and experience. A question, another question from the audience. Um, do you have any data regarding potential dollar costs for filers in terms of being compliant with the proposed SEC ESG reporting rules? I, I personally do not have that information at the ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there have been some um, organizations that have done assessments it, in the the cost really ranges significantly mm-hmm. um, across many different organizations. Again, so if some some SEC filers have never reported on greenhouse gas emissions. So mm-hmm. for an organization like that who's starting from ground zero, it's going to be much more significant to understand the climate-related risks and impacts to their organization, capture the size of the organization is is in the industry in which they, you know, operate as, is is also a significant factor, how many jurisdictions they operate in. So uh, to be able to capture and gather all that data and information across the globe, if you've got a significant number of um, facilities and various different sources of emissions, um, it's going to cost much more than um, if, if, if you have a low, you know, a, a small amount of um, facilities, limited fleet and, and various different things. So um, it's quite broad, you know, as to the cost that it will incur. Mm-hmm. Another question from the audience, less than 1% of all U.S. companies are publicly listed. What challenges does this bring into the ESG debate if the vast majority of companies are not impacted by ESG rules? So a U.S.-based organization that operates in other jurisdictions may very well be um, subject to other rules. So if you operate in the EU, um, they are not limiting that to publicly listed organizations. So many others will be brought into that scope. Um, Prior to the SEC's um, regulatory or proposal on climate change, um, there are many organizations who have reported voluntarily. So many private companies are reporting voluntarily. Um, today, as again, they've seen this as stakeholder expectations from um, from their investors, um, even you know PE funds and such. So many private companies are already reporting on this today, and also the SEC, from a regulatory perspective, is are not the only stakeholders are looking for this information. So, um, especially consumer products companies, um, this is very important to them and engaging with their customers and really a strategic advantage. So, a private company that competes um, with their peers who are already reporting on this information either voluntarily or preparing for um, the SEC filing are also, you know, considering and thinking about if they already report or will need to enhance their reporting in the future. Another impact as well is 
many companies, many especially larger organizations are working with their vendors and their suppliers to ensure that they align with their uh, strategic imperatives as well. So procurement is reaching out to um, their suppliers to understand what, how does the organization um, report on ESG reporting, um, ESG metrics? Um, do they have goals and targets? What is their impact? So when we look at that, you know, whether it's a public company or a private company and they're setting targets and goals, they're then reaching out to their suppliers, engaging with those suppliers, making sure they align with their targets and goals. And we will see um, strategic buying decisions based on, on you know, that engagement with vendors. And we're seeing that today, again, um, from consumers making buying decisions uh, based on uh, understanding the companies they buy from and really making sure they align with their goals and objectives from either a, a social perspective with diversity or um, from a climate change perspective, pollution. Uh, so there's, there is uh, significant demand that we are seeing and, and therefore many private companies are participating and uh, reporting or looking at their targets and their strategies. We saw just this week um, that President Biden vetoed legislation that that sought to curtail ESG investing. Um, I guess, Jackie, any thoughts on like how that impacts ESG reporting, if it does at all? And um, the question that um, was posed by an audience member was, how do you separate the pursuit of ESG development in financial reporting from the larger political and cultural debate? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think from my perspective as a for-profit organization, um, connecting with your stakeholders and understanding the market impact is the most important. And really separating that from the political realm, where um, from a regulatory perspective, whether we agree or disagree with the regulations, we have to comply. So that's one element, understanding those regulations. And um, once they're finalized, making sure we're complying with that, too, from a um, voluntary perspective, I think it's really just stepping back and understanding many investors are pushing the climate change agenda because they understand the risk associated with an organization. So um, so many elements are really looking at, you know, wildfires, floods, hurricanes, right? We've seen a lot of these um, severe climate events and the financial impact to those severe climate events um, is has been growing increasingly and really has an impact on organizations. So many investors are looking at that from a, um, a financial perspective and saying, I want, and, and this is an element of the SEC, I want to understand what the organization's risk is to various different climate events. So if you're in a water stressed area and you heavily rely on water to produce your products, and there becomes an issue. What is the potential for an issue in the future that you do not have availability um, of water rights in the future, and therefore you won't be able to produce your product or and you will have lost revenue associated with that? So those, stepping aside from the political element, 
from an investment perspective, that is something that investors are really looking at to understand. What is the risk to the organization that may impact your future revenues or impact your expenses or capital in the future if you need to, um, if you are impacted by, again, a climate event, a flood, a hurricane, a, a wildfire? So I think there are several different elements that organizations should really look at from a resiliency perspective. What is the risk to my organization? What's the financial impact? And how do I need to be prepared for that? And then how can I articulate that to my investors such that they're comfortable with the financial risk that they're taking and investing in the organization? Another question from our audience, what would be the job titles that would be involved in measuring ESG that will be in demand in the future? Great question. Um, yeah, so, I mean, currently that ESG controller is a mm-hmm. very hot title that we're mm-hmm. seeing Many companies come to us and say, what does the job description look like? What are the activities that an ESG controller should be participating in? Um, and and what are the skill sets and background um, for those? So absolutely an ESG controller. Um, for sure, um, the those that really understand the environmental impact. So I'm an accountant, I'm financial. I heavily rely on my friends who have studied um, uh, an engineering background who understand the environmental implications, who understand the calculations, who understand the impact to the environment. Um, and those, I guess, also from a decarbonization perspective or those really driving those activities. So companies set targets and goals. What are the activities then that are driving, um, achieving those, those targets, whether it be an envi- environmental target or a social target? Um, from a diversity and, and inclusion perspective, um, how is, you know, an organization is really setting a lot of targets to ensure all of their employees feel included, have the right opportunities, really have that equity um, to be able to participate in the organization, to be able to leverage their talents and skill sets and grow those skill sets to be able to, um, to, to, get into the pipeline for leadership roles and positions. Um, And so some of those issues take many, many years to be able to um, execute and be able to drive those changes. If we don't have women or diverse individuals in in, um, career paths that will be able to change those leadership positions, we're we're not gonna be able to achieve um, those objectives that they've set out. So I think, across any one of the topics um, that are important to organizations, there will be somebody that that needs to drive that change, needs to think differently on how we're recruiting our talent, how we're investing in our talent, how we're um, driving engagement, and what are our HR policies that will drive those changes. Or from, a, from an environmental perspective, um, what are the activities that we need to take in order to transition our operations from um, to more green activities, more renewable energy, more uh, reduction of, of our packaging materials and, 
and how can we logistically um, think more creatively to solve some of these problems. So I think, in my opinion, personally, every single role will be impacted by this across the organization in order to really be creative and think differently in order to drive these changes. Another question I, uh, from this person, I teach investments and I do cover ESG elements. We use an ESG index similar to the MSEI ESG index. However, the subscription is costly to our school. I know that my students also use some free version of the ESG index slash scores via Google search. Could you comment on the pros and cons of using these free ESG index slash data? I personally have not used the mm -hmm. free index and data. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think this is, in my opinion, an evolving topic of looking at the various different industries, indices. And there's been a lot of pushback and discussion around the performance of various different um, indices and ESG um, specific uh, elements. From my perspective, um, I think that that there's many companies that are driving various different ESG initiatives, and and that could be in an ESG fund, that could be you know an individual stock. So, I I have been working with some students around really understanding holistically what the market looks like. There are individual companies. That, uh, that an investor could align with across you know, some of the topics. What are the various different activities or material topics that an organization is focused on? Are they driving diversity, equity, inclusion? And looking at who are the leaders in those areas and understanding the financial performance compared to their peers and looking at those targets and compared to those peers. So I think there's so many different ways to be able to identify uh, various different investments and not only looking at the financial performance, but comparing that to their um, performance from a targets, goals and perspective across the various different topics that, that students, students or investors could really look at drawing some of those correlations to determine where to invest. It's really an ever evolving space as we're, we're learning. And uh, I want to know who and what should the viewers be following or reading to keep up with the latest developments in ESG? I know you we've actually included some resources here today um, on the session, but tell us about some of your favorites. Yeah, I do. I, there's in my opinion, there's a lot of different podcasts out there that are available. Um, again, unfortunately, uh, some of them are audit clients, so can't reference specific names, but um, I, I, I think there's a, there is a lot of um, different podcasts that I think you can join. We did post a couple, of course, um, from EY resources and FBI resources that you can listen to and continue to drive um, in, in, Personally, I go online, I look at I, my podcasts whenever I have driving time in the car or back and forth with my children, um, find some of those favorite podcasts where I'm learning about some of those different topics um, across the E, the S, and the G um, to just be able to understand what, what, 
you know, what does this topic mean to other people? How are people focusing? What are companies doing to drive change? And I'm always continuously learning about the ecosystem that we live in in this world um, and how the really all of the, you know, various different elements come together to drive, um, to drive performance to an, you know, across an organization and, and how that, that really impacts. And so from my perspective, I think, um, just continuing to find some of those favorite resources, um, and podcasts that, that continue to just, you feel engaged and, and understand what, what they mean. Some of them are a little bit intense, um, and I struggle to follow technical content oftentimes, especially when it gets into the deep climate change topics. Um, and then others are a little lighter to be able to really understand the basics as you kind of move forward. But um, I, there, there's an abundance of information out there uh, from a podcast perspective. We talked a lot about ESG metrics um, and I'm interested in the challenges that exist when it comes to verifying those those metrics. Yeah, so many companies are starting to um, perform limited assurance. Very few are obtaining reasonable assurance. So limited assurance would be consistent with quarterly reviews. Reasonable assurance would be consistent with an audit. And of course, the SEC and CSRD in there in the SEC's proposal does include limited assurance and then moving to reasonable assurance with these disclosures. We'll see if those stick in that lands as it is not typical for information that's incorporated outside of the financial statements. Um, so, but today many companies are receiving that limited assurance. Um, and similar to my discussion earlier on, on the processes and the judgments and the estimates um, is really obtaining that uh, documentation that's auditable, supportable. So having a list of the information that goes into the calculation, making sure that ties back to the supporting documentation. Um, I think there's oftentimes challenges where the information does not agree, where that is, again, it's manual and it's manual data collected and, and, uh, you know, processed. So it's, so tying the information back to that source documentation, um, making sure there's documentation as to the approach, any estimation, the methodology, and the rationale for that, um, those estimations and that methodology, ensuring there's completeness of data. So if a utility bill invoice is missing, making sure that that is identified and known so that there can be some estimation applied to that missing information. Um, And so that's where companies are really looking at that process to say, if our, the data doesn't tie out, if we don't have that proper level of documentation associated with our judgments and estimates, how can we continue to enhance and make that more robust in alignment with, with financial uh, reporting? So very consistent with what, you know, what we have seen historically from a financial perspective and really driving that um, discipline in the documentation. 
Well, Jackie, that was my last question for you, but um, love to hear your thoughts. Just, you know, we, we, I mentioned that we have a, a real mix of levels on the call today, but specifically to those earlier career or maybe student, um, you know, folks on, what advice would you give them if they're really interested? I mean, if they've joined, clearly they're interested in ESG and, uh, you know, possibly making it a part of their future careers. So what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I know that in, it sounds like there's some professors on here as well mm-hmm. who are teaching um, sustainable investing, who are teaching you know courses on ESG reporting. I absolutely would recommend taking some of those electives um, or majoring or minoring also in environmental studies mm-hmm. um, so that really marrying up the the environmental or um, ESG reporting with that accounting and finance background, I think is um, a fantastic skill set uh, to be able to, to, you know, balance both and bring both of those to the table. Um, so whether they're electives or, um, or additional courses that fit into your primary, I would absolutely recommend um, taking those. Or And as you're starting to work for organizations looking for jobs, Uh, First, of course, aligning with that organization, do their values align with yours? Um, You know, do they do they have um, programs that will help and support you um, drive, you know, some of those things across the organization, but then also being very vocal um, in asking. I have so many folks across our organization that are asking me every day, how can I help? Do you have clients Mm -hmm. I can help support with? Can I get on an ESG project? Can I help build some materials? Um, And so really being vocal and proactive to reach out to those that are driving those initiatives because there's a lot to do. And so if you have some skill sets you want to bring to the table and drive, um, that is the best way to learn is to actually do it real live there and to be able to solve the challenges and problems, understand the reporting, read, read sustainability reports or at least flip them, see what companies are publishing online, social media. There's so much out there to, to learn and, and get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly can't keep your head in the sand about about ESG and and also find yourself the Jackie at your organization um, and <laughs> ask as many questions as you can. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for answering all of the questions and audience. Thank you for you know submitting such such great questions. Um, we really want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me.